Anyone, uh, forget to change their clocks back, forward? <laughs> Don't listen to me, forward, <laughs> last night? Of course, no one's going to confess to that. I'll confess to you, I did it a few years back, not this time. And uh, Dawny and I, uh, it was before we had kids, um, completely forgot to change our clocks, came in uh, through the back door. <laughs> I remember being out in the car park and I was like, it's so full, like, why is everyone on time? Like, and then, you know, we sort of get close to the church and there's this thing and I was like, this sort of strange feeling started descending on me. I was like, oh no. Walked in the back door and as we walked in, a couple of people turned around and saw us and just went, <laughs> like this and I was like, oh mate, can't hide that. So we sat in as the preacher finished off, I think it was Stu, the last 10 minutes of the message, went into communion, which is what we're going to do this evening, and uh, I just said to Dwayne, I've only just brushed my teeth. <laughs> so I don't know if you had an experience like that, but I have. And uh, that's got nothing to do with what I'm going to tell you about tonight, but I thought I'd share that. If you have your Bible right now, you can open up to Daniel chapter 2. And we're going to look at a dream together that the Lord gave two men thousands of years ago. First to one man and then to another. And the first man who received this dream was Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was a king over the empire of Babylon and he received the dream and he wanted to know what it meant. So he gathered all of the astrologers, all of the wise men, all of the, the people who, you know, they knew how to interpret these things. And he said, I've got this dream. I want you to interpret for me. I want you to help me to understand what's going on, what I've seen here. Anyway, so the astrologer like, Oh, king, live forever. Tell us a dream and we'll tell you what it means. And the king was like, uh, uh, uh. I can see that you're trying to buy time. No, you have to tell me what the dream is before you can interpret it. And the guy's like, what? That's impossible. No one can do that. Only the gods can do that. And they don't dwell among men. No one can interpret that dream without knowing it. And the king was like, he was enraged at that point. He's like, that's it. I'm going to put you all to death. Bang, just like that. So he started to round up all of the wise men, the astrologers, and one of these wise men happened to, be, happened to be named Daniel. And Daniel said, give me a bit of time. I'll pray to the God of heaven, and I'll see if he reveals to me this dream. And he did. So Daniel also received this dream. And uh, he goes in before the king, and he says, this is what you saw. So this is Daniel chapter 2, verse 31. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck that image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Several hundred years passed and there was a group of men later, they gathered on a mount called the Mount of Olives. One of the men was Jesus. There are 11 other men with him at that point. 
And Jesus is talking about how he's going to die and be raised again. When he's raised again, he will go before these disciples in Galilee. I'm now in Mark 14, if you want to follow along. And what I'm doing here is I'm giving a big snapshot, zoom out lead into our passage, which is in Mark 14, verse 66. I'm going to give some context into what's happening and how Peter was led to this place of denying Christ. So Jesus says to them, these close friends, he says, you're all going to fall away. And Peter says, even if all will fall away, I'm not going to. It's not going to happen. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. That's quite amazing to say that with such emphasis, underlining passion, and then completely opposite only hours later. So um, Jesus is there. He's in the garden, gone through the Gethsemane. And then um, Judas comes, who betrays Jesus, who is this crowd of um, this crowd who have swords and clubs. And in verse 46 of chapter 4, it says, they lay hands on him and seize him. But one of those, and this is Peter, who stood by, drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And you see in that moment that Peter is holding true to his words. I'm prepared to die with you. I'm not going to stand still while these guys arrest you. I believe that you're Messiah. I'm going to save you by my hand. (laughs) I don't know if he had salvation in mind. (laughs) But more, I'm going to go down with this ship. I'm going to just keep fighting. I'm outnumbered. Swords, clubs, doesn't matter. I'm prepared to go down right now, fighting with this sword in my hand. And at this point, there's this clash and we see it articulated very well in Matthew, Matthew's account of this. I'll just flick there briefly to Matthew 26. So verse 51, Behold, one of those who was with Jesus, Peter, stretched out his hand, drew his sword, and, cut, and, and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? And we see in this moment, there's this clash between the direction that Peter is going and the direction that Christ is going. There's a different direction here. And they cannot keep moving the same direction. And Jesus has already seen this. That's why he was able to say, I can see that you're going to deny me. He can see the direction and the outcome of his actions. Peter here is working towards saying, I'm prepared to die. Sounds impressive, but when it boils down, there's not much substance to what he is and why, to what he said. And why is that? It's because if you look back at this image we looked at in Daniel, there's this, this idol, right? And it's got these four parts, gold, silver, bronze, and then this feet of iron and clay. And the gold is the king of Babylon, And in the iron and clay, it says in that passage that in those days, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never end. And that's where the rock gets carved out and it smashes. (laughs) That happened to me this morning. 
Thank you, Bethany. <laughs> My voice must be going. Yeah, I did, did I? Thank you. I even had a couple of glasses before I started. There you go. Oh, man, I should do this more often. <laughs> Getting quality service up here. So you see this image representing all these kingdoms and the kingdoms of the world, all right? Babylon being one and then many others till this one of iron and clay. And when the rock comes, it smashes it to pieces, so much so that it is absolutely disintegrated and the wind just sweeps it all away. You can't even find what's left of it. These grand kingdoms, right? Sometimes I look at our world today and I think, man, McDonald's, Google, Facebook, all these things look so powerful and mighty, but I tell you what, these things are all going to crumble as well. There's only one, one kingdom that is ever going to remain. You know which one it is, but we're going to look at this. And so in this place, right, with um, Jesus and Peter, Jesus is, uh, Peter's got his sword drawn, striking this man, and Jesus says, no, that's not the way of this kingdom. The kingdom that is eternal does not wage war in this way. We know that. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the powers of spirituality, um, spiritual places in this dark world. There's a difference there of how the battle is waged. And so Peter, who places his sword, and there's this clash, and you see in that moment this shattering of where he's at, the the way that he's trying to pursue the kingdom of heaven is going about it in the wrong way. And Paul articulates this exact thought in 1 Corinthians 15. He says this. This is 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. These things can't go together. They can't work together. The kingdom of heaven cannot go with the kingdom of this world or the, or the kingdom of the flesh. There's this clash, and only one is going to survive. But the interesting thing is, you look at it, and outwardly, the kingdom of heaven seems so weak. You look at Christ in that moment. He was betrayed by a close friend. All of his disciples deserted him. He um, was captured, arrested, sentenced to death. Yet in this, this is where the power of this kingdom is made manifest. It comes to light. I don't know if you see the, the importance in this, but there is a stark difference. And what often happens is people try and mix these two kingdoms together within the church. People say, they look at God's kingdom and they say, Lord, that's great what you're doing there. Let me try and help you out a bit here. <laughs> Let me try and you know, expand what you're doing. And this is, in the church, in many ways, it's hard to see sometimes, but it becomes clear when the kingdom of God shines brightly exactly as it did in this passage. So it leads us into our, our passage here. I'll read through in Mark 14, verse 66. It says this, And what God is doing here in Peter is he is exposing the depth of his flesh. 
the, the depth of that place where he's um, seeking to work in the kingdom of heaven from. So it says, As Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again, began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you're one of them, for you're a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered, remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. How did that even happen? That Peter was in this place, right, of saying, I will never deny you. I am prepared to die with you. That's where I'm at. And only a few hours later, he's emphatically, he's calling down a curse on himself and he's saying, I do not even know this man. Like, he's like a, a, a cornered tiger, like, no, <laughs> trying to break, break out of that place. He's cornered, he's trapped. And he's getting so strong. Emphatically, he says one thing. And then only a few hours, and he's, he's genuine there, right? He's not putting on a show. He's not, he's, I am prepared to die with you. And then emphatically, I do not know this man. Is this the same person? Is that even possible? Absolutely. And this is how, this is how the kingdom of the flesh functions. It when it boils down, there's nothing of great substance there or power. It looks impressive. I don't know if you've ever had someone say to you, I'm prepared to die for you. Probably not. <laughs> Jesus could have said, wow, that's great. Let me form an army with this guy. He is like going to go the distance. He didn't say that. He saw it for what it was. He said, the truth of the matter is actually this. You're saying that. But this very night, you're going to be in completely the other place. And this is the work of God, brothers and sisters, which if you pay attention to the Lord, you will see he's seeking to do in your life as well as Peter. He's seeking to do it in mine. He's wanting to expose in your life the depth to which you are aligned with your flesh and not the kingdom of heaven. And there's a big difference. The two cannot go together. They're, when they clash and the kingdom of God is truly lit up, it destroys, it brings to an end, it brings to nothing, to chaff that is just swept away in the wind. That's the way it deals with the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of the flesh. Pretty brutal. And this is what happens to Peter. He is completely stripped down. And you see in that moment when the rooster crowed, I was describing this morning, like just being hit with a train, just, you know, and he breaks down and weeps in that place. He must have been so confused. Must have been self-loathing. How did he recover from that? I want you to consider the way that you go about seeking to serve in the church, serve God, love the people around you. 
anything like that that is for the kingdom of heaven. When you think about serving the kingdom of heaven, how do you do that? How do you go about that? What does that look like? And if you're not seeking to do that, I would encourage you to start doing that. That's important. It's like a foundational thing. We all have a role to play, a part to, part to play in the kingdom of heaven. But as you're seeking to go about building the kingdom of heaven, how do you do that? What I'm asking there is what is the way that you go about it? Is it according to the flesh or according to the spirit? And there's a very different way. Let me give you an illustration of this, right? I remember a few years back, um, I was praying to God. And I was praying to the Lord and I was like, Lord, you know, I, I was like, Father, I just so want my life to be touched and changed by you. Very genuine. (laughs) And I was really crying out to God, God, I want your work in my life. I want to be changed. I want to touch. I want to see your, your power move through me. I want your glory to be made known. Like all of these things. I was praying along these lines. And I was sort of hit this place of confusion. I'm like, God, why don't you answer this prayer? Like surely you want this. Surely you want for me to be, you know, growing in my relationship with you, being touched inwardly, changed, transformed. And there was almost this frustration of like, what's going on? Why am I not receiving movement in my life? Looks very impressive, doesn't it? The prayer. What the Lord did, he boiled it down and showed me what it was, right? And what I realized as I was praying in that moment was there was a motive in there. And the motive was this. I was looking at someone I knew and seeing how the Lord was moving in their life, how he was using them. And I was like, I want that. I want to be used like that. And there was jealousy. There was pride. There was insecurity there. I was feeling like, I need to look more spiritual. You know, Lord, please work in my life. Change me. And there was genuineness there. You know what? God didn't want to answer that prayer, did he? He didn't want to give me that. And the Lord boiled down the substance of that and showed me what it was, and it was just of the flesh. It was about myself. And you see that in Peter. What looked impressive and great, I'll be prepared to die for you. I'll fight to the end. You boil it down, and he's denying the Lord Jesus. Completely the opposite. When the kingdom of the flesh operates, what happens is it becomes about yourself. And there are many people who have gone to serve faithfully, to look to the Lord and to try and build the kingdom of God, but they've gone about it through a fleshly manner in the sense of, it's about me, subtly. I remember at Bible college, my principal would always say, talk about using ministry as a subtle vehicle for self-focus. That was his, his line. You've got to watch out for people who use ministry as a subtle vehicle for self-focus. And I've realized that I've fallen into that trap in, time, in times. I've said, Lord, I don't want to be there. And I want you to look at your life. When you go about serving the kingdom of heaven, you might have some way that you're serving. You might be in the band. You might be running a growth group, whatever it might be. What is the way that you're going about that? Is it according to the flesh and subtly there's a self-focus there? 
Or is it truly in self-sacrifice and you're saying, I want to put other people before myself. I want to serve these people. And this is another way it looks. You see, only four chapters ago, we were in Mark chapter 10, and James and John, they came to Jesus and said, we want to sit one in your right, one in your left, in your kingdom. And Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. And then there's this dispute that breaks out. And he talked about the Gentiles, what happens in the world, Jesus was saying. He said, you look into the world and all these people are like lording it over others in authority. And they're great ones, are, you know, showing all this authority. He said, not so with you. This is not the way it functions. <laughs> Cut it out. Cut it out. The greatest among you will be the servant, will be at the bottom, lifting others up and saying, you know what, I'd love to do that myself, but I want you to have the opportunity. I feel tired or weary, but I want to bless you. See how it goes beyond where you're at in yourself? It's so easy to say, oh man, I'll just draw the boundary here. Or I'll do that, and yeah, maybe I can, you know, get a bit of praise out of that. You know, of course, I'd never articulate that thought, but it can be there lurking. Hold your life up to the scripture, to Jesus Christ ultimately, and see, Lord, what is here? Is there darkness that is of the flesh that I'm trying to bring into your kingdom? Because ultimately, as I've been saying, those things, they cannot go together. Like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. It can't happen. There is a place for the flesh, though. Don't throw everything out. You've got to go away. You've got to eat. You've got to drink. You've got to keep this body running along. Paul writes this. He says, physical training is of some value. Has value. Those of you who are going to the gym, there's value there. But here's the thing. Spiritual training has value both for this life and the life to come. Your physical training, this body is going to die. <laughs> it's going to be buried. It's going to decay. Your spiritual life, however, will not. And if you want to invest in that, you can. And out of that place, that's where the, the power and the life of the kingdom comes. It's not out of the place of the body, although we use our body to forward the kingdom in that way. I want to go back to, um, to Peter deny, denial, Peter's denial of Jesus. It says, when the rooster crowed, he broke down and wept. And brothers and sisters, this is not just a once-off thing. It's not just uh, coming before the Lord tonight and saying, yeah, what is my motive? What is this? You know, am I really doing that? This is a lifelong lifestyle. <laughs> I remember um, someone preaching here and they said, Christianity is a lifestyle. I thought that's a good word. This is a lifestyle. This is a way of living. Don't just do this tonight or in a moment or over the next few days or week. Make it a lifestyle and be self-aware. Bring your life before the Lord. Peter, he broke down and wept. And if you realize either tonight or at another point later on in your life, 
where you're realizing, Lord, what I'm doing is not right. I'm trying to build your kingdom through my flesh. Man, looks impressive. Looks great outwardly. I'm prepared to die for you. Lord, work in my life spiritually. And that could be a good, genuine prayer, but have a look at the motive. And if you see something there that is of the flesh, pointing back to yourself, I say this morning, this morning, you look at the word flesh, cut the H off and turn it around, and it says self. Cut the H off and turn it around, self. If you're seeing yourself, the kingdom of God cannot be built on anyone other than Jesus Christ. Impossible. It doesn't work. And at any point it's built on something other than Jesus Christ, it's not the kingdom of God. It doesn't exist in that kingdom. It's, if it's built on me, I'm not eternal like Jesus Christ. I've now been given eternal life, but he is the one who extends that. If you see that you have self, the kingdom of the flesh, that is going to be swept away with the chaff, and you're trying to build the kingdom of God in that way, then you need to break down and weep, as is appropriate to the depth that you've been doing that. Peter, in this situation, that hit him like a ton of bricks. I, can, I was saying this morning, I cannot imagine the way that he was feeling in that moment. Don't try and manufacture feeling. Don't try and, oh man, I should be feeling really sad about this. It's really bad. Feel it to the depth that it needs to be felt. Don't make it less. Don't make it more. But grieve over what you've done. It is right to be sad. God is grieving. I believe the Lord, you know, when he saw Peter denying him, he was also weeping inwardly. He didn't want Peter to be in that place, but he was. And there's a sadness to this that we can become self-deceived and seek to build the kingdom of God on ourselves. Crazy. Crazy, I know. <laughs> but grieve it. Weep. Be sad about it. And in that place, then, there's a way to come out of that in the right way. Paul writes to the Corinthians. Um, this is 2 Corinthians 7. And he's talking about a previous letter that he wrote to the Corinthians. He said, even if, this is 2 Corinthians uh, 7, 8, if you want to follow along. Even if I made you grieve with my letter, I did not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. We can be so overcome by grief that we can't recover. We can't get out of that hole and we just stick in that place of grief and it's like a, a constant thing pulling us down, weighing us down. We're never cut free from it. And we can be trying to... <laughs> you can try and make up to God the bad things that you've done. Let me give you a clue here. It's not going to work. <laughs> That's why we've got the blood. 
But you can be so grieved over trying to build the, God, build the kingdom of God through your flesh or through other things that you've done wrong, but we're working with this, that you don't come out of that place and you get stuck and snagged there and you're never able to move on from that with your life. That is not a godly grief. A godly grief leads to repentance and you say, Lord, I'm turning away from what I've done. I grieve it, I acknowledge it, but the words of Paul come to mind again. Not that I have already attained all this, but forgetting what is behind, I press on towards the goal to which God Jesus, uh, the Lord Jesus called me heavenward in Christ. So grieve and then look to God in trust and say, I trust that you still have a plan, a purpose. Look at Peter. Look at what happened to him. He was in that place. You may not have denied Christ. <laughs> but he came out of that place of grief and the Lord used his life mightily because, and I believe partially, well, a part of what the Lord was doing here, he showed him the depth of how much he was fleshly minded. And he's like, Peter was like, I've just got to get that out of here. This flesh, it has to be crucified. And it is in Christ Jesus. But in that place, you know, he didn't want to go back to grieving like this. He didn't want to feel like that again. And that, I believe, is part of the thing that drove him to Christ and saying, Lord, show me, teach me, change me, mold me. From a genuine place, tears of repentance, that I might not build your kingdom from my flesh, but build your kingdom the way that you want it to be built, on Jesus Christ, according to your spirit, in a way that is going to be eternal and is not going to be shown for what it is. I believe that, unfortunately, there are many people who are going to be grieving this grief on the day that the Lord Jesus returns. And that's a sad thing. It is far better to cry those tears now than on the day when Jesus comes back. Because then you can see and you can change. <laughs> but if you grieve it then, as uh, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3, then you suffer the loss of all the work that you've done because it's exposed for what it is and it's simply the flesh. It can't last. So what we're going to do now is Look towards the Lord's table. In Romania, it's called Cina Domului, the, the Supper of the Lord, the Lord's Supper. We want to look there and say that outside of Jesus Christ and his work, there is nothing of eternal gain, eternal benefit. There is no eternal kingdom. This Kingdom is cut out by a hand that is not of man. That rock, it is not of man. No one here, there is no foundation in this room other than Jesus Christ on which we can build this kingdom. And we do it by his spirit working through us. So I'm going to invite the band up to play and the people who are going to um, administer the elements and read to you from 1 Corinthians 11. I encourage you just to take some time and reflect. <clears throat> and again, this is great tonight, great to do this evening, but continue to do this, brothers and sisters. 
Continue to do this. Reflect. Look at your life. Look at your motive. And say, Lord, am I really building your kingdom in the way that you're desiring me to? Or am I actually on another planet like Peter was, trying to pull this sword out and cut some people up? Let's meditate on that and then we'll come to the Lord's table. So 1 Corinthians 11 verse 23, Paul writes this. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I just encourage you just to wait on the Lord quietly, listening. If there's something you need to work through with the Lord, then do that. And don't come forward here until you feel a peace between yourself and the Lord and that you're able to do so. Then come forward, take the wafer and the cup, hold the cup, and we'll drink that together at the end.